It's something we as Christians need to think a lot about. What does it take to finish well? What does it take to finish well? It was the Mexico City Olympics, and his name was John Stephen Aquari. He was from Tanzania. He had come all the way to Mexico City to run the marathon in the Olympics. A grueling 26.2 miles at a high elevation. 18 of the marathoners never finished that marathon. But John Stephen Aquari did. It has been called the greatest last place finish in Olympic history. Because not long after the race had begun, the marathon began, John Stephen Aquari fell. And he suffered a big gash in his knee and dislocated it as well. He injured his shoulder too. But to the amazement of people that were there and were watching worldwide because of television, John Stephen Aquari got up. And he hobbled all the way to the finish line. And then he collapsed. And reporters from throughout the world gathered around John Stephen Aquari and asked him, how in the world did you keep going? Everybody would have understood had you stopped. It was obvious that you'd injured yourself And we could tell that you were in pain with every stride you took. And he said something that is far more precious than a gold medal. At that time, John Stephen Aquari said, My country, Tanzania, did not send me here just to compete in this race. They sent me here to complete this race. Think of the spiritual implications of that statement. I was not here just to compete in the race, but to complete it. I want you to know that no one in all the world is more interested in you completing the race well than God. You and God ought to be the two individuals who want you to complete the Christian race well more than anyone. In 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27... I discipline myself and bring my body under subjection, lest after I have preached to others, I myself should be regarded as a castaway. What does it take to finish well? You did run well. Who did hinder you from obeying the truth? Galatians 5 and verse 7. We understand that we are to be faithful unto death if we would receive a crown of life. Revelation 2 and verse 10. 
and that throughout our Christian lives we're to be steadfast, immovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. And lest anyone think that that puts everything, the weight of the salvation and growing in holiness just on our shoulders. Think of Philippians 1.6. He who began a good work in you is able to complete it to the day of Christ. There is no one that is willing to help us complete the race more than God if we'll lean on Him. And we are not alone. No book in all of the New Testament answers the question, what does it take to finish well better than the book of 2 Timothy? And the reason why ought to be obvious. Because Paul realizes his time is remarkably short. What does it take to finish well? What I'd like to do is look at three truths this morning for what it takes to finish the Christian race well. By looking at 2 Timothy and Paul and his relationship with Jesus. The first truth we'll look at has to do with basic requirements for finishing well. Basic requirements for finishing well, and we're going to look at four of them from 2 Timothy. Basic requirements for finishing well. Turn to 2 Timothy 1.13. The first basic requirement for finishing well is this. Hold to Jesus and His gospel. Hold to Jesus and His gospel. Hold to the pattern of sound words which you've seen in me in faith and in love which are in Christ Jesus. And the idea is is to have a sanctified stubbornness, a holy tenacity to be glued to Jesus and the pattern of sound words, the gospel. Turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2, look at verses 8 and 9. It's a basic requirement for finishing well. Hold to Jesus and the gospel, but secondly, suffer for Jesus and the gospel. Some people seem to be the most wonderful and faithful of Christians, and then when they suffer for the cause of Christ, they show themselves to be the spiritual pygmies they really are. How we need to show our love for God by the way we suffer for Him. Suffer for Jesus and His gospel. I am not trying to speak disparagingly of any dear brother or sister in Christ, but you can tell a lot about the love and character of some Christians by what they are willing to suffer over. Can you rejoice in suffering as a Christian? Paul could. And there's much for us to learn there. 
Jesus taught about how blessed it is in our lives when we suffer for what is right. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12. Third, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. You might put in your Bible or notes the word apostasy or falling away. Apostasy, A-P-O-S-T-A-C-S-Y. Apostasy. And what apostasy is about is a departure or leaving. And what Paul does in this chapter is talk about how many will not finish well. But look at verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3 and look at verse 14. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 10, but you. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 14, but you. He is encouraging Timothy to keep on keeping on. And here's what he's saying. Continue in Jesus and the gospel no matter what anyone else may do. Continue in Jesus and the gospel no matter what anyone else may do. People may disappoint you. Some people may break your heart. But you continue in Jesus and the gospel. Chapter 4. Proclaim Jesus and the gospel. 2 Timothy 4 verse 2. Preach the word. So you look at basic requirements for how to finish well. Hold to Jesus and the gospel. Suffer for Jesus and the gospel. Continue in Jesus and the gospel. Proclaim Jesus and the gospel when it's a popular message and when it's not. When people want to hear it and when they don't. Proclaim Jesus and his gospel. Now Satan is a roaring lion who goes about seeking whom he may devour. 1 Peter 5 and verse 8. He's always looking for an advantage over us, 2 Corinthians 2, 11. So I'll let you know that if you want to finish the Christian race well, and if you want to comply with these basic requirements, here's the second truth. The devil is going to make sure you encounter some specific obstacles some specific obstacles. Now we will we'll focus our attention especially on 2 Timothy 4 verses 9 through 18. We've kind of given a big picture of 2 Timothy and it's a very moving book. It's a book that can cause tears to come to our eyes because Paul knows how short his time is and he's really wanting to encourage Timothy and others and you and me to finish well in Christ and to not allow difficult circumstances to cause us to lose hope and lose faith. But four specific obstacles are dealt with in verses 9 through 18. Here they are. Obstacle number one is from 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 9 through 12. 2 Timothy 4, 9 through 12. It has been called the most desolate word 
in the English language. The most desolate word in the English language. The word to which I am referring is loneliness. Loneliness. Notice verse 9. Do your best to come soon. Make every effort to come soon. Look at verse 21. Make every effort, Timothy. Do your best. Really exert by all means. Do everything possible to come before winter. Come soon. Come before winter. And the idea is this, that Timothy, upon reading these words, would likely drop everything and travel four to six months to get to Paul before he would die. Come before winter. Come wintertime, trying to travel by land and certainly by sea would be really hard, would be very difficult. But one gets the distinct idea that Paul has the impression he's not going to see spring. Loneliness. And in verses 9 through 12, six names are mentioned. Beginning with Demas. He was a fellow worker, Philemon 24, Colossians 4 and verse 14 with Paul. And yet normally 2 Timothy 4 verse 10 is what people remember about Demas. Demas has forsaken me having loved this present world. Loneliness. And the idea in the language in which This was originally written as this, at a time when he truly was needed in a series of events in which he was really needed, he left because he loved the world more. And you think about the passing pleasures of sin. Hebrews 11:25 If you listen to Jared reading from 2 Timothy chapter 4 earlier it speaks of the crown of righteousness which the Lord will give me in that day and not to me only but to all those that have what what Adam love disappearing and then in this very verse verse 10 It speaks of loving the world more. The contrast could not be more great. Loving His coming or loving the world. And oh, how it must have broken the heart of Paul to have a co-worker and someone that he had cared for deeply in the faith to see that they loved the world more 
and he goes to Thessalonica. I can understand Rome. I could understand Alexandria. I could probably understand Corinth or Ephesus. But Thessalonica is not a vacation hotspot for anybody in New Testament times. Maybe he had a girlfriend there. Maybe that was his home. But whatever it was, he left every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ because he loved the world. Have you ever known anyone like that? Oh, friend, brother or sister, don't let that happen to you. Then there's Titus, the troubleshooter, the fixer-upper of churches that are hurting in the New Testament. He's mentioned. Others are mentioned like Luke and Mark and Crescens and Tychicus. He's lonely, Paul is. Luke is with him. How great it was that Paul had a doctor, a brother, and a friend like Luke. You can just see God's providence all over that. And when all of his friends had left, either for ministry reasons or for the world, Luke is still there. And stop and think about this. It is one of the greatest compliments given in the New Testament because being a friend of Paul could probably put you to death by Rome. Would you be willing to stand up for a brother or sister in Christ when you know that they're lonely and they need support and encouragement if there is the possible backlash of imprisonment, maiming, or even death? Each one of these characters is a marvelous study, but let us move on. What does Paul want? He wants Timothy to come because he has no man like-minded, Philippians 2, 19-24. He is a beloved brother in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 17. Timothy, please come if at all possible. If we don't see each other, we may not see each other again this side of eternity. Now look at verse 13. The obstacle that the devil will place in front of us is similar to what he placed before Paul. Discomfort. Discomfort. Do you sometimes feel lonely as a Christian? I do. I'm around people often. But I still often have to deal with loneliness. Maybe you do as well. One can be a shepherd in the church, a deacon in the church, a Bible class teacher in the church, here every time the doors are open in the assemblies, and yet still feel quite lonely sometimes. And Paul was feeling that way too. Specific obstacles we'll all have to deal with if we want to finish well. How about discomfort? The coat that I left 
with Carpus and Troas and the books and the parchments bring when you come. Paul was willing to be dis- to be uncomfortable. But notice what he's asking for. He's asking for friends to keep him company. Is he asking for a lot? In one sense, yes, because you may be taking your life into your hands. But in another sense, not at all. And he's asking for a coat. Why did he ask for his coat or his cloak? The same reason you and I have a favorite pair of house shoes that we like to wear. And if we're not careful, we'll find ourselves walking out to the mailbox or something like that in those house shoes because they just fit right and they feel good. You know what I mean? And this coat was really just a thick piece of fabric that had a hole for his hand, for his head to go through. It probably didn't even have sleeves. It'd be kind of like a poncho that we think that you could wear during a rainstorm, you know? Except thicker. And Paul asked for it. Scripture is never indifferent to our human needs. God is never aloof to what we really need. I want you to know that coat had collected dust on the many roads that Paul traveled preaching the gospel. I want you to know that that cloak had probably gotten very wet in the times that Paul had suffered shipwreck and taking the gospel to many places. I want you to know that that coat had kept him warm when he was going to places through the mountains during the winter so people could hear the gospel and he was in the snow and ice. And I want you to know that that coat had probably been red with his own blood when he suffered for the cause of Jesus. And that coat was going to have one more purpose. The coat was going to keep an old man warm during winter before he went home to God. Do not think for a moment that God is not aware of our needs. Oh, faithless ones that we sometimes are. And then he wanted books and parchments. He's still growing. Paul is inspired, but he wants books. Paul is an apostle, but he wants books. Paul has written a quarter of the New Testament, but he wants books. Paul has been caught up into the third heaven and he wants books. And he wants the opportunity to learn and grow and encourage others. The books and the parchments. Would to God, I wish to God that every Christian had a similar viewpoint that I will not stop growing until my last breath is taken or until I am physically unable to think and process information anymore due to my body deteriorating. Uh 
discomfort. Now stop and think about that. Think about it, Miss Mary, because a coat has to do with your body and books and parchments has to do with your mind. You want to finish well, you have to pay some attention to your body, amen? But even more, if you want to finish well, you better pay attention to your mind because it's directly related to your heart and soul. Now notice verses 14 and 15 of 2 Timothy 4. Paul had to deal with loneliness and so do we at times. There are people in this very assembly that have lost their spouse that have lost children in death. They know something about the loneliness that is attached to that type of loss. Others know the pain of divorce and loss and loneliness. We know something about discomfort sometimes. Maybe it's been in a hospital room, an emergency room, a funeral home. But you know something about discomfort, don't you? Third, an obstacle that we will all face if we would finish well is opposition. Third obstacle, look at verses 14 and 15. Alexander the coppersmith, the metal worker, did me much evil. The Lord rendered to him according to his deeds. Timothy, you beware of him, for he greatly withstood our words. All who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, 2 Timothy 3.12. Remember, you can, you can know a lot about a person by what they're willing to suffer for, 2 Timothy 2, 8 and 9. Opposition. We don't know exactly who Alexander the metal worker is. Alexander was a very common name at that point in history. Think of Alexander the Great, for example. A lot of people named young... Children, young men, Alexander. But we know this about him. He did me much evil. And it's interesting, the terminology. There's intent there. A person who is vigorously opposed to us and what we stand for, what we are about... If we, like Paul, seek to be faithful to Jesus, we will encounter Alexander the coppersmith at times in our own life. Alexander the metal worker. And it goes on to say, The Lord rendered to him according to his deeds. Put down by this passage in 14 and 15 in your Bibles. Romans 12 17 through 21. Paul is not going to play the payback view and return evil for evil, Romans 12, 21. 
Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. But he simply gives the matter to the Lord. The Lord render to him according to his deeds. And if Timothy is going to leave Ephesus, and that seems where he was, and go all the way to Rome, Paul was concerned enough about Alexander the coppersmith that he told Timothy, you beware of him. You beware of him. He greatly withstood our words. When you talk about a guy like Alexander here who opposes one who would finish well, one who's faithful to the Lord, his actions, he did me much evil. And his words, he greatly withstood our words with his own words and actions. And perhaps Alexander was one of the individuals brought by Rome to testify against Paul, saying that he is a traitor and that he is subversive and that he needs to be put to death because he is anti-Rome. We don't know that for sure, but it's a distinct possibility. By way of application, keep in mind that if you want to be faithful to the end, if you want to finish well, you are going to encounter people who vigorously oppose you and what you stand for in Christ. Do not allow it to become personal. Do not allow it to become personal. I often have to counsel some of my preaching brothers and not a few elders who are going through difficult times and are going through rough times. Do not allow this to get you on the level of your opponents. That will challenge anyone who wants to finish well. Because sometimes almost every part of your being wants to lash out in opposition to those that oppose you. Paul, the Lord, reward him according to his deeds, but I love this part, Timothy, beware of him. He greatly withstood our words. And I sure don't want him to get a hold of you. Sixteen through eighteen, a fourth obstacle. Rejection. Rejection. You'll have to deal with loneliness and discomfort if you want to finish well at times. You'll have to deal with these things. You'll have to deal with opposition and rejection. At my first defense, no one stood with me. He's in Rome. There are Christians in Rome. But no one stands with him. No one says a word on his behalf. In other words, none come up 
before the judge and say, I have known Paul. He has been never, never has he been a subversive influence concerning the Roman government. Never has he done anything to undermine the government. And it's because he trusts in the Prince of Peace. No one said that. And I can almost hear this ringing in my ear years and years later. I can hear a judge say, Is there anyone in this assembly who will stand up for this man? And no one does. And then listen. Listen to the text. May it not be held against them. Let me say it louder. May it not be held against them. I know Christians that have kept grudges for far, far less than that for years and years and years. And it goes to show what it takes to finish well. How to be rejected and still not to reject your rejectors. May it not be held against them. I'd love to have more of a faith like that. How about you? Amen? And then he says, and then he says, but the Lord stood with me And strengthen me. Rejection. Rejection by people that he undoubtedly had known for some time. But the Lord stood with me and strengthened me. He gave me the strength to face the difficulty. He came alongside to help me. And while out of love for someone to hold my hands up high, it turned out that the Lord held my hands up high. And what Jesus did when He stood with him and strengthened him was He turned a trial into an opportunity for a gospel meeting, a revival. So that through me... Christ and the message of salvation were proclaimed. Rome thought they were putting Paul on trial. Jesus said, no, we're putting Rome on trial and telling them about the message about me. And he stood with me and strengthened me to do just that. So that the apostle to the Gentiles... And kings, Acts 9.15, was just that, the apostle to the Gentiles and to kings in 2 Timothy chapter 4. And I was delivered out of the lion's mouth. Here's how we put it today. Man, I was in the jaws of death. Snatched out of the jaws of death and given life. Yep, 
Paul is the Daniel of the New Testament delivered out of the lion's mouth. Though forsaken by brethren in Rome, in and around Rome, the Lord stood with him and strengthened him. And notice what he goes on to say, that he will deliver me. The Lord, Jesus, will deliver me into His heavenly kingdom. Unto Him be praise and honor forever and ever. Hi, Ellie. Unto Him be praise and honor forever and ever. You want the last recorded words? Mark Shamness of a man that knew how to finish well. To him be glory and honor forever and ever because he's going to take me home and I will be in his eternal kingdom with him forever. Great men often have something to say while they live, but they certainly have something to say when they're dying. Truth number three about how to finish. Well, by the way, stop and think about this for a moment. Milton, you seem to be listening well. Appreciate that. Loneliness, discomfort, opposition, rejection. You enjoy any of those? You long to have any of those in your life? Often when they arise, we pray for them not to be there or certainly not to stay. And I know this that for decades, as an apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, though not perfect, was a faithful man that did what he did all to praise and honor the Lord. Must his life end in loneliness, discomfort, opposition, and rejection? And here's something to consider. If Paul's life might end that way, how about yours? How about mine? It can be a little bit scary to think about, can't it? Because obstacles can, when they come into our way, they can take our breath away. And they remind us of our mortality and our inadequacy, and our lack of control, and of our neediness. And it also reminded Paul, and it ought to remind us, of what Jesus went through at the cross. Because on the cross, wasn't he lonely? On the cross, didn't he know real discomfort? On the cross, didn't he know opposition? On the cross, didn't he know rejection? He saved others himself. He cannot save. And only by not saving himself could he save us. I believe with all my heart, it was Paul's finest hour. He knew how to die well. Now, some of us are going to limp into 
our deaths. Talked about Moses a few months ago and how a great man of God seemed to limp to the finish line. Some of you may be more like Paul, and I pray that it would be true. But if you're going to do it, you're going to have to follow the, the dynamic keys. Open your Bibles to 2 Timothy 4 and look at verses 5 through 8. Dynamic keys, five of them. Notice 2 Timothy 4 verse 5. Be sober. Suffer hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. And that's the word I want you to focus on. Fulfill. Five dynamic keys for finishing well. Fulfill your ministry. I'll guarantee you there is something as a Christian that lights your fire, keeps you going when so many other things can bring you down. Whatever that is, fulfill that ministry. Some of you might guess mine's preaching and teaching and not quitting. When lonely, when uncomfortable, when opposed, rejected. Fulfill your ministry. Think of your spiritual DNA. It might be singing and praying. It might be visitation. It might be evangelism. It might be food preparation. Fulfill your ministry. Secondly, fight. I have fought a good fight. Second of five dynamic keys. Fight. And sometimes it is an agonizing struggle. But I want you to know the Lord stands with you and will strengthen you too. Fight. Third, finish. Finish the course. In the time that I have been a gospel preacher, I have seen many people begin the Christian race. And when they came out of the watery grave of baptism, there was such joy and such hope. And here at Westside, we would have a welcome circle and sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. But some people went through all of that and sang those words with us, not to be faithful as time went on. Don't you wish everybody that came out of the water was faithful? Or they died right when they came out of the water? Finish. Finish. And like I say, some of us are going to crawl. Some of us are not going to have a strong body or a strong mind. But we can still have a healthy soul. That loves Jesus. I have kept what? I have kept what? It's the fourth dynamic key. I have kept what? Faith. I have been loyal and dependable to my God who is faithful and true. That's one way of taking that. And I think a good way. But also, think of it this way, Bob. I have kept the faith. 
I have held on to Jesus and the gospel in its purity and totality to such a degree I have tried to faithfully pass it on to Timothy and to Titus and to so many others. I have kept the faith. And here's the rub. Here's the point. Roger, if you keep the faith, the faith will keep you. It will see you through the darkest and most difficult times of your life. And then the fifth dynamic key the future. The future. There is laid up for me the crown of life which the Lord will give unto me in that day and not to me only, verse 8, but to all that have loved His appearing. The best is yet to be. The best is yet to be. Say it with me. The best is yet to be. One more time because you're whispering. The best is yet to be. The people of God must believe that with all our hearts because God has said that. Doesn't mean things aren't rough in this whole world. And they may not improve for a while. I don't know, but I know the king who rules in the affairs of men. And he assures us that the best is yet to be for his people. Trisha Pumphrey's here, and she knows this couple, Al and Faye Squire. They've been dead for a long time now. They were members at Eisenhower in Odessa years ago when I preached there. He'd been an elder, song leader. She'd been a church secretary. Uh, they, they were teachers, and he'd been a principal in the local school. Very highly regarded people. He and I would go out and make visits and I would always have to get a Diet Coke with him at a fountain drink and I remember going to 7-Elevens and he didn't even know how to work the fountain drink machine. One of those really sharp guys that loved the Lord but just, again, didn't, didn't know that, anything about that kind of thing. So I was happy to help him there. But I got the news that both of those people, Al and Faye, had been diagnosed with terminal diseases. In the span of just a few days, they'd been married for 50 plus years. And I went to their home to visit them. Loved them. I wish that we had 24 more couples just like them. I wish we had more like them here at Westside. And I knocked on the door, and Miss Faye Squire came to the door, and she said, Come on in, Mike. We're glad that you've come. And she and Al sat in their chairs and I sat on the sofa, the couch. And for a few moments, nothing was said. Because I was thinking about what I'd say to this couple that lived just a few blocks from us and our small children at that time and who'd been so good to us and were wonderful Christian people. And finally, Al spoke. And he said, Mike, we know why you're here, and we are so glad that you come. And then he said this, and it rattled in this weak old brain, 
and still rattles it. We know why you've come, and we're glad. But this is the moment that we have been waiting for all our lives. It's a lot easier to pray for somebody who honestly believes that. It is a joy to hear them rebuke my little faith because of their great faith. And that makes it easier to pray for them. You reckon they were scared? You reckon they were thinking about who might be first and who might be left? I suspect they had the same concerns that you and I have. But they had learned well Paul's message in 2 Timothy chapter 4. How to finish well. That's what it really boils down to in life. Do you really finish well? May God be honored and praised by the things that we have studied. Because while we have looked at Paul's life, Paul would be the first to say, I am only following Jesus. He knew what it was like to be lonely and uncomfortable and opposed and rejected, but he finished well what he came to do. We're about to stand and sing our song of encouragement. Maybe there's someone here today that needs to come to Jesus in baptism. Through faith, repentance, and baptism, you can put Jesus Christ on, have your sins washed away, and be added to His church, and you can begin a journey to eternity. An eternal home with God. And for those of us who are Christians, may more of us have the viewpoint that as we age and as death looms closer, this is the moment we've been waiting for for a long time. Let us stand and sing.